It's been good to be together already this morning, to be reminded of what is true about us because of what God has done for us in Christ. And that's what we're going to continue considering as we look into God's Word together. So if you have your Bible, please turn to the Gospel according to Luke. The Gospel according to Luke will continue our series there. We're nearing the end. We're in chapter 22 now. We'll be looking today at verses 31 through 34. Last Sunday, Jimmy served us so well as we considered the apostles' pride and their short-sighted perspective on Christ's coming kingdom. Today, Jesus predicts Peter's denial after Peter's bold claim that he's ready to die with Jesus. But thankfully, that's not all. Verses 31 and 32 that we'll read in just a moment are unique to Luke, and they give Peter and us tons of hope, a path to restoration, and a purpose even before he falls. So it's worth it for us to consider today just these four verses, and we'll look at them under the big idea that Jesus doesn't want you to be stuck in your sin, that Jesus doesn't want you to be stuck in your sin. Let's look now at God's word together. Luke 22, beginning in verse 31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Luke's account of this episode in the life of Jesus and the life of Peter. We ask that you would help us to see out of it, to see from it what you want us to see, to think the way you want us to think, to love Christ for what he has done for us in the gospel, to realize the full forgiveness that we have been granted, that has been paid for by his body and blood on the tree. And would you help us to live in freedom Enjoy doing the good works that you have given us to do for others' good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we consider just these few verses together, we'll look first at the original meeting. What was, what was going on here in this moment? Well, the disciples had just been arguing among themselves about who is the greatest after that first Lord's Supper And as they're talking about who's the greatest, I imagine Peter was maybe leading some of that discussion. Uh, I I probably am. I mean, guys, I'm I'm the guy who walked on water. I mean, forget the second part of that, but I was the only one who got out of the boat. Right? He's the one who said, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, Simon, that's right. And I'm going to call you Peter. You're going to be the rock. 
And so perhaps, we don't know, but perhaps as Peter is kind of saying, guys, I'm the leader, everybody knows. Jesus says, Simon. Simon. Not once, but twice. And the repetition would have shown his great love for Peter. Could also show his sadness over the seriousness of the situation. It's easy to see here how how both could be present. And then that third word that we read, behold, is one of those that we pretty much only use or read in our Bibles, or unless it's an expression like that was a sight to behold, you know, when something blows up or something. And so it's easy for us just to like pass over it, right? Simon, Simon, behold, da 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 da, right? But what's the point? He's saying, look, look, or even look out. While Peter's ready to talk about how great he is, Jesus is going, Simon, Simon, look. Satan's coming after you. Pay attention. Be ready. So we see Jesus' love for Simon. His eagerness to get his attention. Look, here's what's coming. And we see Satan's activity. We've seen it already in this chapter. We saw Satan enter Judas before the betrayal, and now he would come after Peter. But it's not just Peter. And this is where English fails us a little bit. At least proper English fails us. Because proper English, in proper English, you don't say use or y'all. But sometimes the Bible says use. And sometimes the Bible says y'all. And translations that are trying to be nice um, don't do that. And so we're, we're stuck a little bit. Well, while we're talking about Peter and his problem, the personal nature of this, when he says Satan has demanded to have you, that you, when Jesus said it, was plural. He's saying, Simon, Simon, look. But remember, everybody else is still there. Right? So it's, Simon, look, Satan has demanded to have you guys. Satan wants every last one of you, and he wants to sift you guys like wheat. That was the process where they would separate the wheat from the chaff, the good from the bad, and the wheat would go down into the basket, and the chaff would float away. Satan wants to sift every one of you guys, and he wants to see you. Just fade away from faith in me. But I have prayed for you. That your faith may not fail. So Satan's activity is present. And he's going after all the disciples. And still, right after being told this, saying, Simon, look. This is what Satan wants to do, but I've prayed for you. Simon's like, Lord, I got this. I got you. I'm ready to go with you to prison, even to death. I'm in. I'm all in on you, Jesus. Can you imagine the the arrogance of essentially saying, Jesus, I've got you? 
But that's Peter. For now, there is misplaced confidence, even after what Jesus had just said in verses 31 and 32. And yeah, he's the guy who's like, sure, I'll walk on water. And he's the guy who's like, who even kind of stands up to Jesus sometimes. You remember right after he said, I, you, know, you are the Christ. And Jesus starts to speak about his suffering and betrayal that's going to come. He's like, Lord, that's never going to happen to you. Come on, man, what did you just say he was? It's like, don't you know? When you start a sentence with Lord, which is like master, king, right after you've said you're the Messiah, you don't follow that with a correction of him. But he does it. In another place, he's, he, when Jesus says, let your nets down on the other side, he's like, Lord, we fished all night. But if you say so. But it's really not just Peter. It's like there's a plural in verse 31. Peter often represents all the disciples. When he said, you are the Christ, he was representing all of them. Even here, he calls Jesus Lord. Now, Peter is in for a surprise even though Jesus has already told him what will happen. But the good news in this text is that Jesus does not only predict failure. And that would be easy even when we think about ourselves, right? We're going to mess it up. Oh, great job. Thanks. Thanks for that. How did you know? It's not only a prediction of failure. It is a promise of restoration for Peter and for us. Not only a prediction of failure, but a promise of restoration for Peter and for us. So as we think about the truth that lasts, because there's some of this we can say, well, that's very specific to Peter, right? I don't know that I'm going to deny Jesus three times before tomorrow morning, right? That's, that part is probably not exactly for us, not specifically for us, but it is still for us. So as we think about truth for us, truth that stands the test of time from this story. Again, the you in verse 31 is plural. This isn't just about Peter, and it's not just about the 12. Yes, it's about all of them, and it's about all of us. We have an enemy, and he is real. Even though we live in a materialistic world, a world that says, as, as, if I can't see it, it's not real. All that stuff is just made up. Whatever's in front of me, whatever I can see and touch and taste, that's what, what's real. And everything else is just made up. That's, that's what our world would say. But on Jesus' authority, on the, the authority of God's word, we have an enemy. And he is out to get us. He wasn't just after Peter, and he wasn't just after the disciples, and we know that for sure because Peter himself tells us about that. He tells us to look out for the devil in 1 Peter 5.8. Calls him a roaring lion. He's prowling about, seeking whom he may devour. Satan is still active today, and he is still our enemy, and if he could, he would bring us down, like, all the way. 
Satan demanded to have Peter, and in a way, he demands to have us, like he has a right to us. And in a way, he does, right? He had a right to Peter. Peter is a Jesus denier. He's a Jesus corrector. When Jesus says what he doesn't like, it's like, we'll just leave that part out. This isn't going to happen, Jesus. But Satan had a right to us too, right? We are by nature children of wrath, sons of disobedience who belong to the domain of darkness. That is our story at birth. But by God's grace and through the redemption purchased by Christ and applied to us by the Spirit, we have been transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And so we are even now, who should belong to Satan, we are even now sons and daughters of God through no merit of our own. It is all because of Jesus. But even now, Satan is still coming after us. He wants to devour us. He accuses us. That's what actually the word Satan means. And he's called specifically in Revelation 12.10, the accuser of our brothers or our brothers and sisters. He accuses us before God. And he accuses us to us. He accuses us before God. He says, yeah, look at them. They did it again. They're not going to make it to the end. They can't do it. They are not enough. But he doesn't just accuse us to God. He accuses us to us. And he whispers in our ear those same words. That sin, that one that you did again this week, that was it. Now you've gone too far. Jesus will never forgive that when it could never be enough. You've done too much. You've strayed too far. You've been gone too long. You can never now come back home. Satan never whispered anything like that to you? He is still our accuser. But we don't only have an accuser. We have an advocate. We have one who when Satan accuses us before God says, that will not stand up in my court. says, I have paid for that sin with my body and my blood. Father, forgive them. We see that in 1 John 2. Where John says, I write these things so that you may not sin. But if you sin, it's like, yeah, when you sin... (laughs) We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so even now, he pleads his blood for that sin that you think you can't come back from and it's not even worth trying. It's not worth getting up one more time and saying, Jesus, you know, I'm so sorry. Will you forgive me? Will you help me by your spirit to live in your grace and live in in love for you and for other people. You say, that's not even worth trying. I've done that a thousand times. He says, do it a thousand and one. He will always welcome us when we come home to him. And we're reminded in this text that this isn't 
just automatic. Yes, Jesus prays for us. He told Simon, I've prayed for you. And in John 17, we have the high priestly prayer of Jesus when he's in Gethsemane, the longest version of Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane where he prays for his disciples. He says, Father, would you keep them? Then a few verses after that, he says, I'm praying not only for them, not just the 12, but for everyone who would believe through their word. That's us. We are those still today who are believing through the word, through the testimony of those first followers of Jesus. So yes, it's for Peter. Yes, it's for the rest of the disciples, but it is for us. Hebrews 7.25 reminds us that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost everyone who draws near to God through him. Why? Because he always lives to make intercession for them. He always lives to pray for you. He always lives to pray for me. To be the one who comes between us and the Father. And reconciles us to God. But as we see in this text, even with Peter, it's not automatic, but it is guaranteed. It's guaranteed because Jesus' prayers get answered. No one, not even Satan, the accuser of the brothers, can pluck us out of his hand. So it's guaranteed that Peter would make it to the end in his faith. But it wasn't automatic. It doesn't mean that Peter can now just live on autopilot, doing whatever he wants. And it doesn't mean that we just do whatever we want, not bothering to think about God's glory and the good of others as we go through life. That's not what full forgiveness in Christ means. Jesus' keeping of us involves repentance. Yes, we stumble and fall, but we keep getting back up. What Jesus said to Peter He said, when you have turned again. That's an amazing promise. It's a promise that Peter, yeah, you are going to fail and you're about to fail spectacularly. But when you have turned again, this is what I want you to do. Not if you turn again, not, well, maybe you'll come back, maybe you won't. I've prayed for you and you will come back. You will make it to the end. Jesus keeping involves repentance. We turn again. Again, now this isn't the kind of formal word for repentance that we often find translated repent in the New Testament, but it has a lot of the same concepts. It has the idea of turning around and coming back, even coming back home. So Jesus' keeping of us, it's guaranteed he will keep us, but that's not a reason for us just to sit back. We need to be watchful. We need to be aware of the enemy's devices. And even more than that, we need to be aware of what Christ has done for us through his sacrifice on the cross and the power of his resurrection and that we share in that life as the Holy Spirit lives in us. So everything about this text tells us to take this very seriously. Denying Jesus three times is a big deal. Satan's even directly involved, but Jesus is in charge. He tells Satan, no, you can only go this far. 
he guarantees that Peter will come back. And not only that he will come back, but that he still has work for Peter to do for him. Even on the other side of denying that he even knew Jesus. He says, Peter, there's work to do. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So as we think about responding to Jesus, how do, how do we respond to this? Well, Jesus doesn't save us just to take us to heaven. Now, it's great that we will never die again after we pass from this life. And it's great that we will be with him and all his people forever. But he doesn't save us just to do that. He has a purpose for each one of us even now. And so for the one who maybe is experiencing Satan's accusation and maybe you're experiencing failure, you go, I'm the worst. Jesus doesn't say, you blew it. I guess I'll still let you into heaven, but you better sit on the bench for the rest of your life. There's no bench players in Jesus' kingdom. Every one of us still sins. It's not that like the people who have it all together, they're the ones who get to do the things. Every one of us has a calling, has a purpose to live for Christ. There's no you blew it, sit on the bench, sit on the sidelines. Instead, with Peter, it's less than two months later that he preaches at Pentecost in the power of the Holy Spirit and 3,000 people trust in Christ. Now, if I were Jesus, I probably wouldn't have picked him for that. Right? I mean, in Jesus' darkest moment, in his weakest moment, the loudest disciples like, I don't know, I don't know. Him? Nah. I don't know that guy. I'm not only am I not one of his followers, I don't even know who he is. What, what's going, what are we sitting around this fire for? Is it, oh, that's a trial? Who's that? Is that the guy you want representing you a month and a half later? It's not the guy I'd want representing me. And in times of great persecution, the church has kind of struggled with this. Because, I mean, face it, most of us, are not going to be killed for following Jesus. Probably all of us. We're not going to be asked a question, do you know him, do you follow him, or else. We probably won't face that. But there are other places in our world right now, and there have been places throughout the last 2,000 years where that has been true. And in times of persecution, when people recanted, that's saying, yeah, I, I, uh, I'd like to live. And so what do I need to say? Right. Don't believe in Jesus, not trusting in him. He's not the Lord. Great. Okay. Well, I'll sign. And then kind of the, the danger passes and they try to come back into the church. And the church is like, no, you denied Jesus. I can understand that. Right? <laughs> And it's a good thing for every one of us that Jesus is not like us. He forgives and restores a reluctant Peter. We see that in John 21. As Jesus restores Peter, it's like, ah. But even there, it's, 
I have work for you to do. Feed my sheep. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And even down to this day, Peter is strengthening his brothers because now we are his brothers and sisters. And Peter, especially through the letter of 1 Peter, but also through his testimony in the book of Acts, Peter is still strengthening brothers and sisters in Christ, right? It's Peter who tells us in 1 Peter 5.8 to be on the lookout for the devil. It's Peter who tells us to be ready every moment to give an answer for the hope that lies in us. Well, that lands differently, right? When you're just kind of reading through 1 Peter 3, and it's like, oh yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. It's like, but there was a moment where he didn't have an answer. His answer was, I don't know that guy. And now he writes to us, to the church, be ready. Be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies in you. It's Peter who reminds us in 1 Peter 4 that we all have gifts and we are all to use them, not for ourselves and for our glory and not in our own strength, not with a misplaced confidence in ourselves, but in the strength that God supplies so that the Father would be glorified through the Son. That's 1 Peter 4.11. It's Peter who teaches us in 1 Peter 2. 11 and 12, to think of ourselves as strangers in a strange land. In 1 Peter 4, he reminds us that unbelievers, those outside, will be surprised that we don't join them in their flood of debauchery. That they think it's good. And they'll be surprised when we don't join them and they'll malign us. But Christ has been maligned for us and we join him in his suffering it's peter who teaches us how to respond well to those who would persecute us for following jesus not with fear not with denying but with faith with confidence with hope because we have a living hope through the resurrection of jesus christ from the dead Having turned again, Peter strengthened his brothers, and he still is. And ultimately, he did go to prison and death for Jesus, just not right away. He made this bold prediction, I'm ready, I'm ready to do this. And Jesus is like, not yet. But that too was part of his calling, that he would suffer and that he would die for Jesus. And as he did, Jesus went with him. This isn't a story of I've got you, Jesus. This is I've got you, Peter. I've got you, Rob. I've got you, Grace City. I've got you. But it's not Peter saying that. It's Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to be stuck in our sin. We all deny Jesus in different ways. It's not just Peter. Now, again, few, if any of us, will face death for identifying with him, but we may face other kinds of losses. We deny Jesus when we keep quiet, when we know we should speak up. If you experience that, the Spirit is telling you, speak up, this is your moment, this is your opportunity. It's like, ah, I still want to watch football with those guys. I still want to be able to hang out the way that we've been hanging out for years. I can't risk this friendship. 
Sure, be wise, but don't be afraid. There are people that you are the only person who gathers with this church. You're the only one who has an opportunity to speak to them. It's not one of the pastors. You can't be like, Aaron, come to work with me. Aaron has his own work to go to. Gets it, you know, Aaron, you're really good at, at talking to people, and I just love how you, it's like, okay, well, learn from him and then go and do it. Don't be afraid of what you'll lose. We deny Jesus when we fear that we will lose social standing if we let other people know that we're a Christian and that the fact that we're a Christian actually means something for the way that we live and what we do and what we say. I'd say people think I'm weird or different. Yep. We are supposed to be weird or different. We have a different hope. If we look exactly the same because we love all the same things, we don't have any kind of testimony as a follower of Jesus. The choices we make in submission to Christ should not make sense to people who only have hope in this life. And so, yes, we want to befriend our neighbors, befriend coworkers. Befriend other people in your life who are outside of Christ. Absolutely. Let them see by your life and your words what it looks like to follow Jesus for real. But as we do this, one of the big lessons we can learn and takeaways that we need is don't be overconfident. Now for many, you don't need this. For some, you do. Don't be overconfident. Let us not brag about how we are ready. We're, we're the ones who are going to stand on God's word. And we are the ones who are ready for suffering and persecution and bring it on because I'm ready. I've got this. No, Peter didn't have it and we don't have it either. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. We must not be confident in ourselves. Our only confidence is in Christ and his life, death, resurrection, his ascension, his ongoing prayer for us now, and his soon coming. So don't be overconfident. But also, and I think this is one that probably more of us need to hear today, don't be overly weighed down by your sin. The sin that you think, yeah, that's, that's it. That's the one. Jesus died even for that one. It's paid for. God the Father doesn't say, well, that was a pretty good sacrifice by Jesus. Maybe we need to do it again, though, for this person. That's not how it works. The author of Hebrews tells us that he offered himself once for all, and it was enough. The Father is satisfied. Jesus said he prayed for Peter that his faith wouldn't fail. And in the immediate story here in Luke 22, it's like, but he failed, right? He did fail spectacularly. And we might think Jesus, Jesus, he's not a good like picker for teams, right? He picked the wrong players for his turn the world upside down team. They all run away. And the one who kind of sticks close ends up denying him. But did he pick the wrong ones? He picked ones who, when the Holy Spirit came, would realize 
It was not in them. It wasn't in their ability. It wasn't in their skills. It was in their testimony that they were dead, and but they've made alive through Christ, that all their sins have been forgiven and that now they can live with confidence and joy, living for his glory no matter what it costs. But do you ever feel the same way? Why did Jesus pick me? I am not good for Team Jesus. Like, all, I mean, all the other people out here, I can see why they're in, but it just doesn't make any sense that he would pick me. I'm the worst. I'll never measure up. There's the, I'll never get over this thing. I'm not ready for Satan's attacks, and I keep losing. Everyone else must be so much better at following Jesus than I am. Part of what I would want to say to you is that uh, there's actually quite a few of you here today who think exactly that. And so we want to learn to deal in reality. When you are struggling, others are struggling too. It's not that you are the one person who gathers with us who really needs help from Jesus and everyone else is a good person who kind of has it together. That's not our story. If anyone thinks that about yourself, that you are a pretty good person who has it together, see the, the point right before about don't be overconfident. Your confidence must be in Christ. But for those who feel like, I, I can't do this, I will never get over this, I am not a good follower of Jesus. And Peter must not have felt like a good follower of Jesus, right? He went out and wept bitterly. And even as Jesus restored him, he's reluctant. So for us, embrace the path of restoration through repentance. It's like, Rob, I thought you were going to give me something deep. I'm going to give us what Jesus gave us. Enjoy, embrace the path of restoration through repentance, even if you feel like you've done it a thousand times. In 1 John, we're told if we confess our sins, and this is written to believers, those who belong to Christ, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And there's no, no limit on the number of times we can come to him. See, sometimes we, we struggle and we go, see, that's, that's bad. The struggle shows that there's life in you. The fact that you care that you've sinned against God and against others shows that there is spiritual activity in your life, that the Spirit is working in you. If you ever want to do what is right, God's at work in your life. If you ever actually do what is right, God is at work in your life. And so we embrace the path of restoration through repentance, and he will forgive us. He will restore us. And he has work for each one of us to do. There's no waiting period. There's no, well, I did that. Okay, I've, I've repented. But, you know, I got I mean, to sit out at least for six months because that was bad. I, I can't speak up for Jesus at work. I can't uh, love other people in the church. I mean, I can come and maybe be cared for. But, I, I mean, what would I do to care for other people after what I've done? That's not how Jesus works. It's through our failures and being restored by his grace and the power of his forgiveness through his life, death, and resurrection. When we have that testimony, we are ready to serve. We are ready to care. We are ready to build up. We are ready to strengthen 
our brothers. So let's not be confident in ourselves. Be confident in Christ. His death was enough. It paid the price for all our sin. Let's keep coming to him and find out that all along he is the one who is holding us. So by the power of the Spirit, let's turn again and do the good works that God has given us to do for his glory and for others' joy. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you that you have loved us and shown that love by sending your one and only Son to pay for all our sin through his bloody death on the cross. Would you help us to believe? Would you help those who are saying, no, I mean, maybe for everyone else, but not for me. Would you help them to believe? Would you meet with us today by your Spirit on the authority of your Word? And would you speak peace into troubled souls this morning? Would you give assurance of your pardon, of your forgiveness for everyone who turns again to you? And would you give grace the grace of repentance and faith because we all need it. So we thank you. We love you. We trust you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.